1: Middle
2: call!
0: (laughs) Hey,
2: We're in a radio room. We're going to use the whole studio. We just got done on uh, KMBR. We're going to be back there on uh, Friday and Monday from 2 to 6 p.m. We interviewed a bunch of people, and we're going to play some of those interviews on this podcast today, John.
0: Say hello, Daniel Ogden. What up? Whoa, radio employee on the podcast? Only Jacksonville Jaguar fan I've ever met. If, I guess if podcasters can do radio, Radio Guy can do some
2: podcasts. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'd say he provided us with good guests, but they're on the payroll, so they have, do they even count?
2: He <laughs> came in today to work with us. Yes, yeah, that's true. true. On our terrestrial tour 2019. We added a date Monday. It was supposed to be two dates. The response was so positive we added a third tour date, so that's why we're back on Monday, which will be after Niners uh, Seahawks. But be a lot to
0: talk about on Monday.
2: But that won't, we're still going to have a regular Monday pod out Monday morning. Yes. And then we'll come do the show in the afternoon. Um, but we want to put, you know, we got the podcast to put out for Friday, which is what this is. Um, so let's, before we get to playing some of those interviews and having making one point on Niners Seahawks, let's tell the people, John, this podcast is brought to you by mybookie.ag, promo code ham and the numeral one, mybookie.ag ham1.
0: There's probably not a game I like more. And again, I, I'm a little biased. Maybe I'm a little too close to it, but the 49ers uh, minus three, promo code ham1, mybookie.ag. I, I I like him to win pretty big. Uh, I I got my uncle's a pretty big gambler, Johnny Lear. My cousin texted me, who's with him in Vegas, said he loves—I mean, capital loves—L O V E S the New York Giants against the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. I was like, well, based on what? Well, Danny Dimes five touchdowns last week. All right. Saquon Barkley, I think, at 180 yards. The Eagles actually aren't that good. It's not like they blew out. I mean, they went 17 to nine. They've beat the Redskins and the Giants the last couple weeks in the fourth quarter. It just it just sparked, you know, because I think most of us think Eagles lock, right? Mm-hmm. I think they feel like the biggest lock of the week. Like, they're not going to lose the Giants. Pat Shermer said today that he expects to get fired in so many worlds. Beat, I think that's yeah. what he said. Uh, so, yeah, mybookie.ag, promo code ham1. Oh, my other favorite bet. I kind of like this team to win potentially the national championship, but definitely – it's not an upset their favorite. The last I checked with minus two was Clemson. I, I, lo-
2: I love Clemson.
0: But Ohio State, our, our buddy Dustin Fox tweeted out this pick of just a ball drill from the Ohio State wide receivers. They all jump like Julio Jones. I mean, it's not like they're just some random good team. Clemson doesn't have a bunch of schmucks either. But I'm just saying, I I, I, I sometimes forget how good. Ohio State's. Oh, they're equal. Yeah. You know, I just, I lean Well, I think coaches. It's hard
2: to get a gauge on Clemson. They just didn't really play anybody this year. So people kind of off them. I feel like yeah. they've been under the radar. So mybookie.ag, promo code HAM1. Podcast also brought to you by Ease and EaseWellness.com. So it's Ease.com or EaseWellness.com. Promo code is HAM there for
0: 20 bucks off your first order. Yeah, a friend here, Daniel, I didn't know something about the products. Ease pushes uh, pre-rolls, vapes, edibles. Uh, I had a couple edibles last night to help me sleep. Some indica. Made me feel Pretty good amped right up before... for radio? Is that what happened? No, you... then, oh, I was out, and uh, so I didn't have any uppers today. I uh, might need to order that when I get home. Ease.com. Best weed cannabis delivery in the state of California. Then our friends at Ease Wellness, this little thing they call C B D, easewellness.com, C B D delivers to your home, promo code HAM. You know, if if you're not ordering, I don't know what you're doing. I had a friend tell me today how he orders the pre roll because it
2: comes like, you know, wrapped up, sniff proof. Yeah. Then packages it himself, sends it out of the state. Whoa. I'm not encouraging that. Fidel guys. Castro or, or that's that's wrong. Uh, I'm not encouraging that. What was the
0: guy's name? It, well, it's legal here. Oh, out to where?
2: Ships it. That's cross state lines. To so another
0: right. state. We, it another depends state. on what state you're going to, right? Yeah, well, it's not Colorado. It's not Washington. It's not Oregon. Yeah, so uh, d- don't do that. If it's a check, check the yeah. state. Uh, the only reason I told it, that story was to tell people you should not do that. We're pro in this state, so we, we don't want anyone to get in trouble. But if you're thinking about it, definitely order from our favorites, Ease.com and EaseWellness.com, promo code AM. All right, uh, so before we're going to play a Kyle Shanahan interview, a uh, Steve Kerr interview,
2: a Greg Cosell interview. Yeah and a Chris Mullen interview that we did, all on
0: CanBR. <clears throat> I'm not going to four lie, four like, five, and 6.80. First time I've ever talked to Kyle. Never, never met the that. guy. So that was pretty cool. It was. And he was awesome. It's probably it's as cool as an interview as you can hear. But Chris Mullen was pretty badass. He was great. Well, don't you think his accent helps, too? His accent I is love the way he talks. him not knowing us, yet knowing exactly who we were, calling yeah. us by name. Yeah, that was good. Classic to fool media people, just calling by their Deceptive.
2: name. yep. middle people just drool over that.
0: And I think, you know... Our parents' generation that like could respect like my dad used to always talk about Chris Mullen, how he didn't pro- maybe properly get the respect, just in fan circles, but obviously internally like he was on the '92 Dream Team, like they knew how good he was. He was a badass. He was a badass. You know. Um.
2: All right. So, Niners Seahawks Sunday Night Football. John, we've talked about we talked about this on radio. The last team to make the Super Bowl and play on Wild Card Weekend was the '20. 12 Ravens. In other words, the Super Bowl has been ones and two seeds. So, if the Niners want to win the Super Bowl, then uh, they severely injured that opportunity by losing to Seattle. They want to win the Super Bowl, they beat Seattle, then I think we'll all talk about them like, they're the Super Bowl. I mean, they if they win Sunday, Monday comes around, we'll be talking about the Niners are the Super Bowl uh, favorite in the NFC,
0: out of the NFC. I'd agree. I'd say, you know, thinking about it, it's a little fickle because in 2010, 2011, and then that Baltimore team in 12, three straight years of wild card teams. Because in 10, it was the Green Bay Packers. In 11, it was Eli Manning. And then it was the Ravens. So it obviously goes. It's not like it never happens. But I would say if they lost this game, given how many injuries, I, I, th- I think there's some tangible pressure on the Niners to win this game. They're favorites. They should be. They 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 signed Marshawn, I can swear here, fucking Lynch. Uh, that's which, why we're
2: doing this so you can get a few
0: out. Yeah, this is, that's pretty nuts. For as crazy as, like, plays on social media and Merry New Year's, and everyone's like, oh, he's back, ha, ha, ha. It's not that funny. I mean, they're playing for the division championship. They're trying to get a bye. Like, I, I'm i not laughing. I, Pete Carroll, like, they're trying to win. Like, they did not want to do this. Again, I understand no one plays on social media like that guy. Everyone just loves the circle jerk how funny how the stupid shit he says is I I'm just like whatever when he was cool I mean when he was good it was cool but he's kind of been a irrelevant football player for two or three years even in the Raiders while he's still functional he's playing for a shitty Raider team it didn't matter but they did not want to do this like that's can you lose to a team that might start Marshawn Lynch who hasn't played in a year and a half who's well who again if he was like did a Barry Sanders where he had retired at like 29 or 30 it wouldn't be that the guy did the guy had been playing in the league since 07 like he's old yeah, I mean, I think the X factor is that
2: Russell Wilson's a quarterback. And so that's always just no matter who is on the team is going to be scary. Um, but when I think about the 49ers not winning the game, given how much better I think they are, uh, there's there's no way. Like, if they lose the what game. if the Niners had signed Patrick Willis
0: after Quan Alexander had gotten hurt? Would that have been weird? Well, yeah. I've been kind of desperate. Now, he'd been retired. I mean, think I played last year. Let's go to Navarro sure. Bowman two years ago. I mean,
2: this this guy played last year in the NFL. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying, Russell, to me, they're, they're, like, I think Russell has reached the point where there's nothing that he does that should surprise you. Like, right, if Russell wins the game, you go, well, okay, Russell may. He's like an NBA play. player, yeah. like a James Harden, a LeBron, or something like Russell that. Russell may. But that said, like, this game, there's no way this game looks like the Ravens game. You walked away going, well, you played well, but they played well. Or the Saints game, where the Saints had to walk away going, well, we played well, but damn it, they played well. Like to me, there's not a scenario where that happens Sunday if the Niners lose. Now the Seahawks can play well and lose. The 49ers, I don't think, can play well and lose. There's no way you walk away with it looking like the Saints game or the Ravens game if they don't win the game. It doesn't. There's just no way that it looks good and it doesn't make you feel that. That's the other thing. You're not going to. To me, them not being the division champ is really significant, obviously. But if they play the type of football game that loses on Sunday, you're also just not going to feel great about them making a run through the playoffs. I think you have to take, based
0: on that. You have to take this with a grain of salt because everything he says is kind of cheesy, but I do think he's being serious here. I saw Russell Wilson today say that they have to play their A plus game to win. I yeah, and I, maybe not A plus, but they definitely have to play an A. Like they can't well, they can't win to me with their B game because the Niners no. can play off. They're just they have way more better players right now. I mean, it just the injuries are which sucks. I, I wish they were healthy and the Niners were healthy and we got a. Uh, Seattle should be favored by three, and it's just a legit right. go up there and play a fucking real game. Like it, I don't know, guy. Maybe I, I'm crazy. It, it doesn't quite feel as real with the Marshawn, the injuries. That's not, like you said, they still have Pete Carroll, who's going for his fifth division championship, who's won national titles, Super Bowls. They have Russell Wilson, who a month ago might have been the MVP of the league. So it's like I'm not discounting them. I just don't look at them. Like when they went into the Saints game, when they went into the Ravens game, it was like, buckle up. This is going to be nuts. Even that first Seattle game, it was like, this is going to be hard. And then it was. Maybe I don't have the appropriate fear. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) That's where Russell comes in It doesn't take away that if when they win the celebration up there, how crazy it would be. But it also, I think, doubles down the other way. You lose this game. That is a shitty plane ride home. And, again, that's where I go back to, John. It's not just about, ah, we should have won the division or we should have won the one-seater. It's not just about unless the unless the Giants beat the Eagles and the Cowboys win that you play Dallas, you're like, oh, I think we can beat the
2: Cowboys. But still, I think no, you walk away going, why did they look like whatever it is that they would have to look like to lose? You go, how do they just get beat by Seattle's? I, I just,
0: well, I guess it could be pouring rain, so the game could be a low scoring, you know, yeah, one of those weird games. Yeah,
2: I just, man, I don't, I don't know how you come away from a loss feeling like, okay, this is a team that could make the run all the way back to the NFC title game. That's, that's, that's the part that I'd have a hard time seeing. That said, I've watched them all year and thought they're a Super Bowl level team. They,
0: they win this game. Are they the favorites to win the NFC?
2: At one thousand percent, they are.
0: Yeah, because it comes through Levi's. Because <laughs> it comes through Levi's. They've beaten
2: the Saints. They've beaten the Packers. We don't think the Vikings can beat them. If they play the Seahawks, they'd be at home,
0: and they wouldn't have. Do you to... think it helps that Levi Stadium's had a resurgence this year? It just feels loud. Yeah, I mean, cool. but you I just... think those. I think it's had a resurgence because because we always wondered like, would it get loud there? And we just we had
2: to wait a while to find out, and the answer is yes. It's Chip Kelly, Thompson. (laughs) Play those games at night too. Like you don't
0: play those games at night or in the winter. Yeah, can't have it be 82 degrees out there in the sun. Well, the other thing about losing this game, which is devastating, is that yeah, you still get the NFC East winner, which even if it's Philly, is a flawed division East winner. Then it's just your route, like you said, the difficulty of just the history of the last five years or whatever. It's the actual tangible difficulty. It's then go to Lambeau, go to the Dome. Or go to the dome, then go to Lambeau. Like that's just say that out loud. Right. It doesn't even matter if, well, Green Bay's there's a little flawed, or the Saints they've had some injury. It's just say you got to win at Lambeau, and the, even the flawed Eagles team at Philly, at Lambeau, mm. at the dome John, to get to the Super Bowl. That's impossible. There's only one man for that
2: job. Tom Sula.
0: Colin Kaepernick. Oh yeah.
2: No, you don't have that conversation. Okay. Uh I think Jimmy could do it. Well, I mean. To me, it's the question is a The difference was, question. though,
0: if the Niners of the Kaepernick era would not have lost to this Seattle team up there. Well, and we didn't rely on the offense as much. as well, this team. But has I'd say the discussion. Niners' offense isn't really, like, they score a lot of points. Yeah, yeah, they no, they score just, more points than
2: the, ni- the Niners back then. No doubt. But that's, that's my point, is that that team didn't need the offense to be as good as this team now needs it to be. Vernon Davis, they're capable of it.
0: I know he was playing earlier this year. I feel like he just disappeared. Maybe so I decided to watch Redskins games. Yeah, everyone disappears.
2: Yeah, uh, spe- actually, Kyle had a good line about Washington, which we- I think he enjoyed saying it, too. Yeah, uh, so let's get shot. to that, John. Now, uh, you'll hear us. We'll lead into every interview by telling you where it's from because we appreciate the folks at KNBR and Daniel Ogden and Jeremiah Crow allowing us to use the interviews that we did on KNBR on our podcast. And so we tell you that he- our conversation with Kyle Shanahan is from 104.5 and 680. That's KNBR 104.5 and 680. The sports leader guy. That's right. Here's Kyle Shanahan. Oh, how does Christmas on a uh, game week go for a head football coach?
3: It was a, it was actually perfect this week because we, we played on a Saturday, which it stunk for last week because you got to get ready in six days, but it gave us eight days this week. And we got eight days, and Seattle has seven. So it was perfect to get to come in. We came in on Sunday so we could start everything and treat Sunday as a Monday. And then basically we acted like yesterday didn't count. So um, we gave everyone the day off. Everyone was t- able to spend time with their family. And I think Seattle did also. So I can look at it as they only got six days in this week, and we got seven.
0: You guys weigh everyone today? No food comas
3: or anything? No food comas. We, we definitely, they got a threat of a big fine system. They don't know not to go eat too much. And it's actually pretty easy right now. I mean, when you're playing for the, um, the NFC West and for home field advantage and everything, this is a... It's a week where you don't have to motivate. You don't have to sit there and tell them how big it is. It's you can tell when you right when you talk in a meeting, the way they're looking at you and the stuff. They they know that our opportunity is now, and these guys can't wait for Sunday.
0: Well, one thing I've been fascinated by, and I, I, I you might have talked about it this week, but typically because you play on Sunday, whoever you're going to play, you start banging out the coaches tape either you know late Sunday night or early Monday morning. You have the day off, even though you guys are in the office. That Seattle Arizona games on television. Are, do you like watching games live on TV of an opponent that you're going to play? Does that throw you off? Did you watch it, or did you just wait to watch it silent? No, I, I just watch,
3: wait to watch it silent because you can't really – all you can see is the ball when you watch it there, and you, you can't see the coverages and the fronts and things like that. So, um, I mean, I might have it on her a little bit just for some entertainment in the background just to see what the scores and stuff like that. But you're never thinking from game plan standpoint or studying and, until you get the <laughs> silent tape and the different film angles. Kyle,
2: I'm curious just about your process leading up. Like, I heard you say when you are on, on this show with the guys a couple weeks ago that that Monday and Tuesday you're always, I think you, the way you put it, like you're scared to fail on Monday, Tuesday, and then you put in the work and you go through your process. And I remember hearing you with Papa on a pregame show this year, early in the season, say that you write out the first 20 plays on the in the locker room just for the guys because it helps settle them down. Ten plays, ten runs, make everybody feel like they're going to be part of the thing. But what's your just like? What's your Monday, your Tuesday, the Wednesday process that just gets you comfortable for Sunday? What are the things that you you go through just to get yourself settled in?
3: Um, I mean, mine. It, I feel I feel a lot better usually once the we get the whole first and second down game plan done, which is usually late um, Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Because Monday and Tuesday, you know, Monday we'll review the game from the day before and things like that with the players. But as soon as we can get the players out of here, everything we do until. Um, Wednesday at 7.45 is about putting in the game plan. Um, So you just watch a ton of tape. You watch watch a bunch of games. And then when I'm done with the games, and then I kind of sort everything up and break it down into personnel, how they defend, you know, Two two running backs or a fullback in the game, two tight ends, three receivers. Then you break it up into coverages, fronts, blitzes. Uh, You just try to put everything together and know exactly what they do in situations. And you put in a plan uh, that you want to attack that stuff. And that's all we do really Monday and Tuesday while the players aren't here. And when they come in Wednesday, we teach it to them. And we spend all Wednesday teaching it, and when they leave Wednesday, that night we'll we'll do the third down plans and the short yardage and the goal line, and then they'll come in the next day and we'll teach that. And then Friday, Thursday night we'll put in the red zone. Like tonight, when I'm, we just finished with the players, so for the rest of the night we're going to be doing red zone here um, to finish up and um, some two minute stuff. And then when we're done with that, we'll teach that tomorrow. And so you you get all the stuff in and. Um, You know it for yourself, which makes you feel better when you think you have a good plan. And then that's why you practice and teach, and then you feel even better by Friday usually because you feel you've taught the plan, you feel the players understand it. And then by the time you do your Saturday, you know, Saturday is when I sit at home and do the openers. I do an opening 24 plays, and I show it to the guys Saturday night, 12 runs, 12 passes, and um, that's when I feel it calms them down a little bit. And then by Sunday, it's just can't wait to go you just been you know and that's where I say on Monday and Tuesday I always don't feel like that because I just turn on a tape usually a defense or an offense looks real good don't know how we're going to attack it yet and but as the week goes you start to see the holes and you feel confident with your plan
0: would you say it's more complicated when you're facing a team for the second time in the sense that like when you play the Saints or the Ravens it's a one-off game hopefully you play them again down the road but with a division opponent you can go back you know that game earlier with Seattle or just with the Rams and you look back of what you could have done again the first time, what you did well, can you overthink it, or do you find it easier when you're fa- facing them a second time?
3: I mean, I, I personally find it easier when you're facing the team the second time because when you go in, I mean, you watch everything they do, so you know all the stuff that they've put on tape, and you've got a plan for all that, and, but you don't know how they see you yet. And you always try to guess it and guess what direction they're going to go, and then you have your adjustments after you see that. Um, once you play them, then you know exactly how they saw you. And so you can you know how they saw you, you know, whether they had success um, or not, or at least whether they thought they did. And then it makes it a little bit easier to anticipate what they're going to go with next. And as soon as they do it, you already have that plan and you can see it. So I always enjoy a second time, but you're definitely right. Um, there's a lot of times you can overthink something. You can think that they're going to think something was good and when. Um, you go into the game anticipating it because you've been thinking about it all week, and um, you just had too much time to think about it because they didn't see it at all that way, and um, you got to quit chasing that and accept that early in the game.
0: What about a situation like this week when clearly they've lost a ton of players the last feels like seven days, ten days, whatever? Uh, how do you approach some of these unknowns, not just the clowny health, but now Marshawn coming back, unknown left tackle, just the rookie running back that's played a little bit the last couple weeks, like who's going to be doing what?
3: yeah that's and yeah always with injuries and we look into that every week and how much it'll affect people, but um I look at the injuries that they've had, and i i mean to me nothing's gonna change i mean they their t- their left tackles out which he was out last week, and you can't change your entire game plan up when you're missing a one O alignment you might help them more in protections but that's about all you can do and then when you change your running backs I mean you don't you don't bring in running backs just to run a whole new offense you know you bring in guys to plug in to do exactly what you were doing before so they brought guys in with bodies and size that are exactly similar to what they've had and they'll keep doing the same thing it's just different names on the, on the jersey now when a quarterback's missing or something like that or um, if you do end up changing a center of someone that you go from one guy who cannot do something to a to another guy, you know things like that. You know a certain pass rusher and stuff. Um, that stuff can affect a game plan. But to me, what they're missing um, are definitely some good players. Um, but it's not going to change what they do.
2: You called the game in the locker room, talking to your players as cool as a win can get. You gave everybody a game ball. Obviously, what happened with C.J. Beathard's brother is part of that backdrop. What was it like, just standing in that locker room? having spent, as you told the guys, an hour with CJ previously, winning the football game, and then addressing the team?
3: Um, it was, I mean, it was a, it was, there were so many things that came together. I mean, just the way that we won that game and just this two third and 16s, which you don't totally expect to pick up um how big of a game it was what it's leading to this week and um and then just what we had gone through the night before with cj and it was something i was a little stressed out about before the game because it was a night game and i um, mean you know, i think people know what i went through the night before with cj but you know i didn't talk to the team about it all day and that was i was struggling with that because it's, it's just something that i feel you you When something is bothering your whole team, you should address it. Um, But when everyone gets to the stadium at different times and social media, everyone knows about it anyways. And some guys are in the training room. Some guys are out on the field stretching. Some guys are in their locker. It's it's hard when you have a routine just to call everyone in just to kind of say what everyone already knows. And so that was kind of I was kind of stressing about what to do. So I just talked to a number of guys. They all knew about it. Um, I I told a couple guys, you know, what I'd been through with CJ the night before, and everyone knew that, everyone was dealing with the same thing, and um, with the help of some guys, they they told me, hey, just wait till after, we're we're all right, so I did wait till after, and I was going to say all that stuff after, Um, but the way that it finished, the way we were able to win, um, and to immediately just think of CJ, tell those guys that stuff, because you know, CJ, I did spend a lot of time with them, and um, and most of it wasn't talking, because of how sad it was, there wasn't much to say, and but the only thing he did say to me when I left was just, "Hey, you tell the guys make sure they get a win. Like, make sure you guys win this game." And I did not want to tell the guys that before the game because it, to me, it's an, it's just an insult to what happened because what happened is so much bigger than that game. So I didn't want to say that at all. um But then after we won, to be able to tell the guys that CJ said that because our guys know CJ very well, who he is and what he's about. They care about him a lot. So when it, when I told him that, they know that CJ did say that and they know how much he meant it and. I know how much uh, how sadder guys were for c j but I know how happier our guys were that they could at least do something that c j asked for i you know
2: after you spoke, Richard Sherman spoke and then you guys had a hug afterwards john and i we, we were talking the other day because we remember coming out Richard's first mini camp before he could really be on the field. he was still running around out there yelling at guys, coaching guys up as a first year head coach. what is it meant to have Richard in part for situations like you encountered this weekend?
3: Uh, it's been great. I mean, anytime you got a, a a smart guy who can you know articulate himself, who's passionate, um, who's not scared to tell people what is on his mind, and he tries to do things the right way. And on top of it, you know, he's one of the best corners who's played this game over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, he's won a Super Bowl. Um, he's been a. a a number of Pro Bowls um, I mean when you have a guy who plays that way and has the respect of the guys and then um, leads it leads that way by an example and talks to the team and addresses things like that I mean that goes a long way I mean not every what you don't want to do is bring in guys and ask them to act like that that's that has to be who you are and that is who Richard is that's why probably not many people like liked him when you weren't on his team because um, you heard <laughs> him talk too much and things like that but uh, when he when he is on your team you know he's talking for a reason. You know that's who he is every single day, and that you know you believe in him, and you know he believes in you, and he's trying to get the most out of people, and I think that's what makes him a very good natural leader.
0: You know, I remember when the story broke, like TMZ style. Kyle and his wife are at dinner with Richard and his wife somewhere in the South Bay, and then I think by the next day or two days later he signed, and that was a long time ago now, a couple of years. Did you, when you signed him, Envision, I mean, what he's been this year—arguably one of the best corners, if not the best corner in the league—and just what he's meant. I I think I would imagine you knew what he was bringing intangibly, but just tangibly, how big, how good he's been. Because Guy and I have talked over the last year. If if the NFL knew he was going to be this good, can you imagine the offers? Because I remember it was just Detroit, I think, that kind of called him last minute, and Schneider, you know, told Richard to call him, but it kind of felt like they were ready to part ways. Is it safe to say it couldn't have gone much smoother than it's gone?
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, this is what we hoped for, you know, but this has kind of been a best-case scenario. And, you know, I mean, Richard had some horrible um, injuries to deal with, and that's why it was a risk for him and for us, you know, at the time and I think that was for everybody in the league at that time that's why you know he we it was we thought it was gonna be really hard to get something done right away and you know none of us knew Richard either and that's what was so cool about going out to dinner with him and um Ashley that night you know that was the first night I had met him and my wife and I went and got to hang out I think we ended up staying at dinner for like three to four hours um but I didn't I and I always tell him this day I, I didn't like him that much going in because you know he's talked so bad to <laughs> teams it my to me to, to to players I was with to, I've always been the guy going against him trying to get him um so he was always irritating me more than anything and um then to go to dinner with him and to really see who he is and what he's like and I mean we had as much fun as um we could have I mean he was extremely real um said everything how how you guys would expect and uh you knew what type of guy he was from just one dinner um, especially watching the way he played his whole career and I was just hoped he could get healthy and uh, he wasn't the most healthy his first year here, um, but I earned more, he earned more respect for me just the fact that he wasn't healthy, and he still went out there every week, didn't care that people were going to say, hey, you don't look the same. He just he went out and tried to compete and did whatever he could to help us win, and I know last year was tough on him because uh, we were here, he was here, and we only won four games, and um, that's hard on everyone, but take a guy who's never been on a team that's lost before you know Seattle had been winning since his first year there um to his last so I, I know that was tough for him uh, but he stuck with us we stuck with him and it's paid off this year
0: you worry at all about just with him specifically the hype surrounding this game the return what's on the line or is he such a pro and just established and the way he goes about it you don't even think about it
3: Well, I mean, I know, I mean, Sherm's a pro, so I mean, I think he's pretty, I think Sherm has a very good idea of what he does, what he says, Um, so I I don't worry too much about that. I know that there's times, especially during games, that he gets his his mindset to a level that um, he is going to pretty hard on whatever happens and that's why i know to stay away away from him in some of those situations but um, that's he knows how to get himself ready for a game and how to get himself up for a game and that's why he plays as physical as he does that's why he gets after that's why he's able to play through a lot of injuries um, but you know throughout the week you know and i trust him and how he's going to handle himself and i feel he knows the right things to say
2: kyle what are the things he would say to you when you were not on his team <laughs>
3: Uh, just telling me how much trash I was and everyone else and how (laughs) how we couldn't beat them and quit challenging them and and then I would say it right back to him tell me we were coming at him and, and it, was, it was it was fun. I remember the first time I tried to say something to him I didn't know who he was. He was a rookie and he di- he didn't hear me and I'm glad he didn't cuz I didn't know who I was saying it to at the time <laughs> and it, I didn't like I don't like a lot of attention drawn to me especially as a coach on the sidelines, um, especially as a as a coordinator and i bet if he would have heard me, no one sure me would have stopped and there would have been a big deal and um, I was I've Quickly realized at the end of the year, like, all right, that's a guy I probably shouldn't have talked to during the game.
2: Tell Julio, Julio, I need you today.
3: <laughs> right? Uh, the problem was this was when I was at Washington, oh. so I, I didn't I didn't have as much back. Come on, than, Pierre. Than I did with Julio.
0: <laughs> uh, it's kind of a geeky football question, but Daniel Brunskill, you've been in the league a long time. I don't remember a mid season signing. Now the AAF hasn't was only around for you know six weeks or whatever, so, but an AAF guy coming in mid season. He's going to finish the season as a starter, but at guard he started to play right tackle. You put him in at left tackle in a game. It's got to be one of the better stories. I mean, in your career, do you ever remember a situation like this on a team that was good too? It's, I think it's unheard of.
3: No, he's been great. I mean, just uh, it's been a long, it's been a long road for him this year. Just um, you know, I remember in, in OTAs he, I just called him by his number. Um, just because he was the new guy from the AAF, and we had ninety people, and I'm not the best with names, Um so it was uh, he was just number sixty or sixty-one for a while, and then he made so many plays and looked so consistent, you eventually started to put together like, hey, this, this guy's actually got a chance. And then you see him in the preseason games, and he just gets better and better. And then, all right, well, he's been doing all right at tackle. Let's throw him in a guard. He did good there. Let's throw him in at center. Let's see how he did. And he, I mean, he did center in the preseason, which he had never done before. So you got to find guys like that. I mean, that's. That's what this league's about. I mean, when guys get hurt, um, do you, what is your um scouting department? And what are the guys that you're working with, whether it's practice squad or the last guys on the roster, because those people don't realize how important those guys are. Guys um and we've had that a lot this year. I mean, guys like Ross Dwelly. I mean, Ross Dwelly had one play last week and it was a 40-yard seam. And but he had a ton of plays 3 weeks before that cuz he came in and played for Juice, who's the best fullback in the league and um, Juice got hurt, and we, Ross Dwelley came in and played fullback for us for about three weeks and played it at a high level. Uh, he was able to replace Kittle for a little bit and not do what Kittle does, but um, help us win some games. So uh, you got that at a number of positions. I mean, you look at um, Emmanuel Mosley, who's come in this year. Um, you know, being a, a, I mean, he was an undrafted free agent too. So you got all these guys who um, really work, and you never know when they're going to get their opportunity. But if you don't have people like that, In this league, it's it's very hard to go
0: on championship type runs. You know, it sucks losing in the NFL. I mean, it sucks losing anything in life. But those first two years were really tough, and we could see it on your face and just the losses and the injuries. Do you feel, obviously, you had a lot of success as a coordinator, but this year validated you as a coach, or did you always feel you were on the right direction and didn't necessarily need a thirteen and three or twelve and four, whatever season uh, on your resume?
3: I decided a long time ago, not a long time ago, probably within the last seven years, that um, I, I tried to – I don't try I don't want to sound the wrong way, but I, I tried to decide a long time ago through some of my experiences and working with people and just make a decision that I believe I'm a good coach and that I was okay with it. And then so I've made that decision, and then you just try to do the best you can. And some days you're going to do good, some days you're going to do bad, just like players. But the main thing I don't want to do is – listen to the radio or listen to talk shows and podcasts. To, uh, yeah. Podcasts, whatever it is. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to pe- I I don't want people to make me feel like I'm a good, really good, or I don't want people to make me feel like I'm really bad. I I'm, I want to feel what I think I am. And I feel like if you do that, you do things the right way. Like if you get so worried about trying to validate yourself as a coach, and when then when you do good, your ego's going to get too high, and you're going to think something bigger than you. It's, it's not about that. You, you're either good or you're not, and you just work as hard as you can. And, I mean, there's a lot of variables out there. You try to call good plays. You try to put players in position. And, um, you you know, there's going to be one team that's happy at the end of this year. And uh, you better work your tail off and be happy with yourself, and you better have thick skin and be able to deal with whatever someone says about you.
0: So no chance we get a you like that after a win on Sunday on the walkout? No, probably not. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't <laughs> eat the rat poison.
3: <laughs> if you, you get some buildups and you want to get some people back, if you've been listening to some people crush you for a while, but I feel I'm a little battle tested with that. And I've had my times where some of that stuff bothered me, but um, I feel like I've gotten over that for the most part throughout my career and I'm just pumped out. You know, everyone – and we did have to go through a lot of losing here these first couple years, but a lot of that we expected too. You know, we knew the situation we are getting in. You never expect – I always expect to win more games than we did, and you always end up putting a team together, which as a coach and stuff, you still think you have a chance every week. But we had a good idea coming here that it was going to be tough to build this the right way, and I was just – I can't say more that to be in a situation where you can lose nine or eight games in a row to start it out. You can go four and twelve your second year, and I was just in a building where I never had someone coming down to me like, "Hey, you got to make this change. You got to make this change." It was, "Hey, this is what we talked about, and we knew it was going to be tough. Um, let's just keep going with the process, and just people have confidence in what we're doing, and it's paying off a little bit this year, and um, got to make sure that continues.
2: Kyle, we're looking forward to it on uh, Sunday. We appreciate your time. It's great to talk to you. Thanks a lot, Kyle. All right, guys. Thanks. Merry Christmas. That was Kyle Shanahan from CanBR 104.5 and 680. The sports leader. Who should we talk to now, John? Let's go to Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Okay, let's go to Steve Kerr. This is Steve Kerr, courtesy of CanBR 104.5 and 680.
0: The sports
2: leader. Also brought
0: to you guys by MyBookie.ag, promo code HAM1.
4: The Steve Kerr Show, with his former teammate Tom Tolbert. What's going on, Stephen? Thomas Byron Tolbert, what's happening? Along with Larry Kruger and Rod Brooks, on The Sports Leader.
2: I really wish my name was like Reginald Aloysius. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not. I'm just guy, I don't even have a middle name. What's your middle name? John David. John David Middlecoff. Alright, let's welcome him to this show. sans Tom and uh, Kruger and Brooks. Guy Haberman, John Middlecoff, in. And uh, Steve Kerr joins, and we appreciate his time, Coach. Welcome, Merry Christmas! I uh, you know you had a good one last night. It's
4: good to talk to you. How you doing? I'm doing well. Aloysius. That's a that, that'd be a solid
0: middle name. Wasn't that isn't that Reggie's middle yeah, name? Yeah, that's what he used to say when Reggie he went Milla? on Dan Patrick. Reggie Aloysius. <laughs> that's really what it is. I think so. Maybe I, Dan was just making joke. fun of him. Yeah, I, yeah. it might have been Dan making fun of him. Uh, it probably time. was. Yeah, it sounds like the guy who
4: won the croquet tournament at the uh, polo club in upstate New York.
0: <laughs> or Tiburon.
4: <laughs> <laughs> there too.
2: <laughs> it looked like a lot of fun last night. Uh, and I know you, you talked after the game. It was a lot of fun. What what was it like to, to be in that game? Not only make it three in a row, but to have it against the Rockets, to have it on Christmas Day, a game that meant a lot to, to you guys. Um, how much fun was that for you last night?
4: Oh, yeah. That was the most fun game of the year. I mean, it was, uh, just uh, the energy in the place. Everybody was excited. Christmas day games are really fun to play. And you, you know, it's, uh, you know, national TV and a lot of people are watching and there's just a different vibe, you know, a different feel. It almost feels like a playoff game. And, you know, considering how our season has gone and obviously you know, the, the results haven't been what we had hoped, but, um, considering all that last last night was great best game of the year
0: i mean i think through you guys a lot of us that live around here have grown a hatred of that team that you played so it's never you guys get a little extra juice obviously like you said the game the season's gone a little different than the last five years but playing that team get a little extra ounce of energy out of you guys
4: oh no doubt we've played them more than any other uh, opponent over the last five years i think we're i think we've played them like 50 times or something um regular season and playoffs combined so we know them really well. They're a little different <laughs> this year with Westbrook uh, instead of Chris Paul, uh, but you know it's still the same patterns you're seeing. You know with James Harden in pick and roll and a, and a ton of three point shooting everywhere. Really hard team to guard, and uh, so it was a it was a, a great effort by our guys and our crowd helped us. Uh, loud in there and uh, really good good day for us. To,
2: to have James Harden. Take one free throw attempts, pretty incredible. Uh, but it wasn't just him. I mean, sometimes you think, okay, maybe James is off. That means other people are open, all the focus on him. Rockets shot 37%, which was their season low. So it wasn't just the Harden defense. It was the everybody defense you guys played. Um, did, did it go kind of the way you anticipated it going? Uh, were you able to push the buttons in the order you wanted to defensively?
4: Well, we, you know, we, we had a... a a plan going in I mean, James Harden forces you to, to guard differently than, uh, than you normally would, you know, just in, in your normal pick and roll coverage, generally just a, a handful of things you do against pick and roll, but Harden makes you rethink everything. And I think the whole league has, has had to, uh, to kind of figure out different ways to try to combat what he does. Cause it's, it's unguardable really, if you try to guard it in a traditional fashion. So, um, a lot of teams are doing different things, and, and uh, Jaron Collins uh, cooked up a really good game plan. We trapped Harden a lot. Our guys executed really well, and and I think the best thing we did, as you said, was just not foul. You know, it, it, he draws so many fouls and puts you in so many vulnerable positions that you you, you have to find a way to to defend them but show your hands. As, as soon as you know, as if you if you can't show your hands to the officials you know, Harden is going to exploit that, and then you're you're in trouble and he's going to the foul line. So we avoided that all night, which was really key.
0: You know, I, I, I mean, it makes sense when you say you've played that team more than any other team over the last five years and now counting, going on six. It hit me yesterday, like you said, the scout of the last, even last year would have been different. And then three years ago before that, while James Harden's the constant, they've had three separate superstars starting with Dwight. Then Chris and then Russ, and maybe that's just nature of the times. Guys move a lot, but obviously that team has had the one superstar, but the constant turnover it, does that change? I mean, you're, it's not like you can go back to the 2014 or 15, 16 game plan because it's always changing with this specific team, despite having a consistency of playing them a lot. It's still
4: hard to show, you know, no matter who it's been, whether it's Howard or Paul or, or Westbrook next to him, it's still all about. James and what he does, and uh, you know the other thing is Mike D'Antoni has been there now for several years since uh so the system hasn't changed, uh, uh, you know, over the last three years. But um, you know, they the, uh, they put you in difficult spots. Um, you know, they were hurt by not having Eric Gordon. Gordon is a really good player you who know, can do a lot of damage if you're uh, if you're double teaming Harden. He wasn't out there, and, and we just you know we did enough to to force some tough shots and uh, sometimes the you know shots go in sometimes they don't and last night was a good night for us because they missed they missed some open ones for sure but that's all part of it did you ever read uh i'm um,
2: i'm guessing you jack McCollum's book seven seconds or left uh, or seven I, seconds I or less
4: yeah i never did i never did read it hit too but close to home phoenix you know you lived I, a guy you know i was yeah i i did but uh, that was just before i arrived there um so i was uh doing television at the time when the suns really you know started to to explode 2004 05 i was doing tv but i became a consultant right around that time i didn't become gm till 2007 um but you know that that team really made an impact on the whole league and um they, I think they've they've influenced uh, a lot of what we do here as well, just the, the spacing and the speed and the three point shooting. I think that that Nash team, Nash Dottamara team, really changed the way a lot of coaches looked uh, looked at the game.
2: When you think about like, I, I just think about my my life watching basketball. The Suns have had two of the best teams to not win a championship, whether it was Charles's team or. Or that Suns team, I, I mean, I, I guess I'd probably put the Kings of the early 2000s up there, two of the teams that I thought, you know, a lot of people pro- kind of accepted as championship level, but didn't win a title. Is there somebody else that comes to mind uh, as as maybe the best team that did not win a championship or the best group that didn't win a title?
4: Well, the one, the one for me, just because I was there, I played with, with the Cavaliers in the late uh, 80s, early 90s, and we had, we had a team that was really good, but we... we kept running into Michael Jordan, and, and there, you know, it was Larry Nance, and Brad Doherty, Ron Harper, uh, that group, um, excellent team, Mark Price was the point guard, one of the best point guards in the, in the league, so that was a really good team, just, you know, there are a lot of teams like that that just came around at the wrong time, you know, if you happened to, to be at your best during Michael Jordan's heyday, they, you were just out of luck, you know, and, and uh, so there've been there have been some teams like that for
0: sure. Did you did you happen to see the trailer? I think it came out yesterday or two days ago on the uh, the upcoming documentary on the '98 season. I know you were a part of it, being interviewed. Looks pretty
4: cool. Yeah, I saw the I saw the trailer. I'm excited. You know, I remember that season, that '98 season. The the cameras were literally behind the scenes all, all year long. It was really bizarre. you know they didn't do that kind of stuff back then. And and Phil Jackson decided to to let them do it. Michael Jordan. Was the ultimate uh, decision maker on that front, and he controls. uh, I think Michael controlled all the the footage. That's one of the reasons it's taken 20 years for it to come out. Uh, He had to okay everything.
0: Had to let everyone know, you know, just remind everyone.
4: I think it's a good time. I do too. The modern, the modern players all know about Jordan, but you know, they, the, I don't know how much they really saw of him, um, you know, when he was playing. So I think it's uh, it's going to be great for our young players, our current NBA players, to to watch some
2: of that. I mean, the trailer's incredible because the, it's just a bunch of people, for people who haven't seen it, it's just a bunch of incredible people sitting down. It's just Obama, Roy Williams, Phil Jackson, Scotty, Kobe. I, did, did I, Steve, did we see, we were talking about this earlier, was that Carmen Electra we saw in the in the trailer? Uh, yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> was she a big part of that team? <laughs>
0: Yeah, big part, huge part, <laughs> integral. <laughs> <laughs> on a lighter note, uh, I, I know, read about, and we have a mutual friend, Mike Tannenbaum, who I know introduced you, or maybe you already knew him, through Pete Carroll and Dan Quinn. And obviously, you know, big point, talking point today, we had Kyle Shanahan on, Niners, Seattle. And I think, was it last year or a couple years ago, you went to one of the – your team went to the team meeting and were shooting some baskets with Seattle – you know, having gotten to know Pete Carroll over the years, what do you think makes him so successful as a coach? Like what, what's something that jumps out to you, to you when you've been around Pete?
4: Yeah, he's, he's been a, a mentor for me. Um, you know, somebody who, who um, I, I always enjoyed watching him coach. I, I, I watch a lot of coaches and, and teams, and when I see a, a team that sort of jumps off the, the screen – I'm interested in, in their culture and, and how they operate. And so for me, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was watching USC football and it's ironic because I grew up a UCLA fan. I, I didn't like USC at all, but you know, Pete Carroll, his teams were so dominant at SC and they had so much fun. You could see the energy just bursting from the sidelines and they just destroyed everybody. And there was Pete, you know, having just as much fun as anybody and, so I've I've always admired him. I mean, a few years ago, I went up to his uh, training camp, and he was great. He invited me in and shared a lot of his coaching wisdom. And that was about actually five years ago, before I even um, before I arrived in in Oakland to be to coach the Warriors. And uh, and then two years ago, um, we were in town for an exhibition game. Well, that's what it was, yeah, and, yeah. And the whole team went to uh, Seahawks practice, and Pete invited us in and. We shot hoops with the team and uh, threw the ball around, threw the football around. It was an incredible day. But, uh, but Pete's an amazing coach. He just, uh, he he's so passionate and energetic. He loves the game and he's innovative and he keeps things fresh and exciting and interesting. And, and he's doing it again in Seattle. You know, he's just, he's one of the best coaches in, in sports. And uh, I have learned a lot from him.
0: Have you got to know Kyle Shanahan at all?
4: I've not gotten to know Kyle. I know John Lynch a little bit uh going back uh, really before either one of us came up to the bay. Um you know we
0: San we've Diego guys
4: spent a lot of time in San Diego, you know? So I'd run into to to John down in uh, in San Diego quite a bit and and uh now you know we've been in touch quite a bit uh texting and and that kind of stuff and we keep meaning to uh to uh to come down and you know, get together with with Bob Myers and and uh, and Kyle, and uh, we we just haven't pulled it off yet. Both you know both both teams are so busy, but uh, I'm I'm admiring what they're doing from afar. It's been amazing to watch the the 49ers this year. They're having an unbelievable season.
2: You know, I wonder this is a, a little this is a somewhat football related in terms of a code, but it's a coaching thing. Urban Meyer. I was watching a thing with him the other day, and he said that um, they had a guy whose job on film study was to let him know if if the head football coach of the team they're about to play ever talks to the special teams, his own special teams coach. And if that guy regularly talks to the special teams coach, then it's not really helpful. But if that guy doesn't often talk to the special teams coach, then he would know when he sees that guy talking to the special teams coach to be ready for something tricky on special teams. Wow um wow. but I don't is there anything in, in like can you go you know in, in basketball you don't quite get to stop in between every play and call the next play and and have that level on every play of influence is there anything any trick of the trade any uh, anything you can search for when you're looking for those types of small margin advantages
4: well you know every team scouts uh, each other and and when you get to the playoffs uh, there's really a deep level of, of knowledge and awareness of what your opponent is doing. Um, but in the regular season, I, you know, what I found interesting when I you know, became an NBA coach is that literally everybody steals from each other. You know, there's a, a lot of great coaches around the league, and, and I, offenses are getting more and more innovative. Teams are running really interesting stuff. And, you know, when, when you see something interesting out there, you just, you take it and then you run it for yourself. And then, you know, the same thing happens. You might, you might, you know, run something that another team likes and they run it against you. And, and so it stuff tends to, to go in, in uh, trends where, you know, that's why you see a lot of the same patterns around the league. Uh, But, but coaches will absolutely steal plays from one another. And, you know they make no bones about
0: it. My favorite play was when Doug Collins said that they they asked him what he I think it might have been against the Cavs and he said the play call was, we said get the ball to Michael and everyone else get the bleep out of the way. <laughs>
4: that was always a good play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now that uh, now that Brad Stevens in the NBA, who was the last college
2: coach you took something from?
4: Well, I, I had a, I took a play from Fred Hoiberg. Uh, about uh, well, before I became the Warriors coach, I I was preparing for coaching, and I I would uh, keep I kept a video library of plays that I like. And Fred ran a, a beauty at Iowa State uh, that became a staple for us here, and and uh, I called it Cyclone in in Fred's honor. And uh, when he became the Bulls coach, <laughs> I told him I called him. I go, you know, I I, I we run your play, and he goes, yeah, I saw you. I've, I've seen you run it. And I said, well, we call it Cyclone. What do you call it? And he goes, well, we call it Cougar. I said, how come? He goes, because I stole it from BYU. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works, you know. Everybody everybody just uh, sees what's what's out there, and you take what you like, and then you adapt it to your personnel. And that's and, uh, just kind of how it how it works.
0: You guys have someone on your staff that just keeps an eye on whether it's, you know, Oregon or whether it's, the Celtics or whoever's playing, they see something, they just make a note and keep a folder that you guys have a running kind of diary over the last several years for just, just plays?
4: I tell I tell all our coaches, if you see something you like, um, just, just uh, you know, clip it and uh, give it to our video guys. And uh, our video guys keep a, a big file. And I will go to our video guys uh, from time to time and just say, hey, you know, we need to we need some fresh uh out of bounds plays or, you know, after timeout plays or, you know, we need to change up our late game stuff. Um and they'll put a they'll put a you know, a file on my computer, a new file and we'll we'll start to add stuff. Sometimes I'll just see something on late Pass and I'll just text my my video guy, and say, yeah, you gotta clip this play from, you know, fourth quarter, whoever and and you know, it'll be on my computer the next day. And And, uh, but it's, it's fun. And it's a, it's a really, you know, fun part of the job is, is seeing stuff that you like and trying to implement it with your own group.
2: You know, I, I was interesting last night, post game on, uh, ESPN. Draymond did the post game interview with Israel Gutierrez. And one thing he said was, I think it was one of the first things he said, he said, Steve has been telling us this team that we're getting better for about the last month. And that's part of what made this so satisfying is that he's been telling us we're getting better to win three in a row, to win this game, um and validate all of that was important for us did, did it is it felt important for you to remind this group that they're getting better to tell them that they're getting better
4: well i wasn't lying when i said it you know I, I i felt it and you know we've had the occasional clunker where you know shots just didn't go in and you know we lost some steam and and things didn't turn out well but for the most part We've, we've, we've just competed really well really hard this year, and we've had a lot of close losses. I think, you know, maybe 10, 10 or 12 really close losses. And, you know, we're finally starting to win some, some close games because we're executing and we're figuring it out. But um, I've been telling the truth. You know, the last, the last month or so, I, I could feel it. Our whole staff could feel that we were getting better. We just had to get over the hump. And, um, you know, hopefully that's what these last three games are about. Just, you know, us getting a little bit better and learning how to close games. And, you know, maybe we can continue uh, a nice little run here.
0: With Stephen Clay injured, how important has Draymond been? Just kind of been your version of a coach on the floor and in the huddle and at practice, just being around the young guys.
4: Oh, he's a man. I mean, he's just, uh, he's such a winner. He's such a champion. He's He's been through everything. He knows the game so well and I think the most impressive thing about Draymond this year is just how he has had to adapt his level of expectation you know because he's, he's so emotional and, and he hates losing so he had to kind of find the sweet spot you know between okay it's okay you know it's all right we're not going to be a great team but we can you know we can be better we can get better we, this can be a process and I can be a part of of, of all that leading these guys and and uh, it's been really fun to watch Draymond grow. I think his leadership has never been better, never been stronger. And the circumstances have really forced him uh, to to be more mature and, and wiser and, uh, and tougher uh, mentally. And I think he's uh, he's at his, his all-time best from a leadership standpoint. He's been fantastic.
2: Steve, congratulations on the fun of yesterday and the uh, success here. We appreciate you making time. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Merry Christmas. Thanks, guys. You too. From uh, KNBR 104.5 and 680. Now we'll go to who? We'll go to Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell. Courtesy of KNBR 104.5 and 680. The sports leader. The 49ers favored in Seattle uh, on a week 17, the one seat on the line. We couldn't ask for much more here in the Bay Area.
5: No, it's. Uh, I think I'll probably be watching that game on Sunday night. <laughs> amazingly enough.
2: Yeah. What do you think of the game? What do you think of this matchup? And and, I mean, favorite is one thing. I think around here people are starting to feel like, given all the Seattle injuries, the Forty the ers should win that football
5: game. What do you think? Well, you know, I I rarely look at it like that. I mean, I I think that. I would expect Seattle's offense not to change at all. They did not sign Marshawn Lynch to give them the ball three times. They're a run-first football team, which people forget because they have Russell Wilson, but their offense starts with the run game. That's the foundation, and I would expect it to be exactly the same on Sunday night. Uh, they'll continue to play six offensive linemen. They've been doing that uh, quite a bit, and, and there's a lot of reasons they do that, uh, but um, I would expect nothing to change, uh, and we'll see. I mean, I, I watched the tape of, the, of Uh, the Seahawks' offense versus the Cards' defense. And I'm sure Jamarco Jones, their left tackle, got a lot of grief because Chandler Jones had sacks. But if you watch every play, Jamarco Jones actually did not have a bad game at all. He had a couple of bad snaps, which is to be expected. But he did not have a bad game. So
0: you don't think he's this, just whenever you say a guy like Dwayne Brown's out, it's a massive liability, like people like me may say?
5: Uh... Well, the word "massive" would would not be a word I would use. Is he as good a player as Dwayne Brown? Uh, no, otherwise he'd be starting at a left tackle. But I, I, in that particular game, yet while I said he had some bad snaps, he was not a liability. That game, there were a number of issues in that game for the the Seahawks offense, which seems to happen to them every once in a while.
0: Yeah, they're they're no longer the juggernaut up there. What about Chris Carson, who I who's been one of my just favorite players in the league? I love the way Chris Carson, yeah, his violence, but. That is a pretty big loss. Would Would you agree? For their, uh, I mean, anytime you got to yeah. sign a guy that's on the street week seventeen is not
5: ideal. Yeah, and we, and none of us know about Marshawn Lynch. Uh, you know what he is at this point. Um, they obviously feel that they needed him because, as I said, their, their offense does start with a run game. Uh, I, I'd be very surprised if that dramatically changed, uh, but I love Chris Carson. I mean, Chris Carson is your, he, he's your Pete Carroll back. He's a sustaining grinder, and that's exactly what they are. And they get into very manageable second-down and third-down situations, and that's where Wilson becomes a problem because of his legs.
2: First, uh, not 49ers defense here, Greg. First eight games, they allowed 13 points per game. The last seven games, it's 27. Is that opponent-driven? Is that injury-driven? What 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 do you point to?
5: Um, I would say a couple of factors. Um, I think their pass rush hasn't been quite as good over the last month or so as dominant because I think they were fueled by a fairly dominant pass rush through the first 8, nine, ten games of the season. Uh, while I think overall the rookie, Dre Greenlaw, has played well, I thought Quan Alexander was playing at an exceptionally high level. Uh, and you could argue that they had two of the top three or four three-down linebackers in the league in Warner and Alexander when Alexander was healthy. And Greenlaw, like I said, he's a rookie, and he certainly acquitted himself well But he's not Quan Alexander, so I think that's a factor. Um, You know, they have had some injuries. You know, I I don't think Marcel Harris has been a bad player. Uh, Another guy that's had some bad snaps, but I don't think he's been an absolute liability. But I don't think he's as good as Tart. And I don't. Is Tart due to be back this week? Uh, Doesn't.
0: I mean, he's limited today. I would lean no. I'd be shocked if he plays.
5: All right, because he's—I've always—I liked him coming out of college. I really liked his college tape, and I like—I think he's a good NFL player.
0: Yeah, for sure. W- what about on a big picture standpoint? They got two defensive tackles. Buckner was scheduled to probably get a big extension this year. Armstead, who I was never that big of a fan of, turned into they had a what,
5: really good year. God,
0: I—I I don't really know if there's a right answer. What I mean, you potentially could keep them both. That's. But sometimes, you know, to allocate money and Kittle's coming up, and they they got to pay other guys. You can't keep everyone. You, what would you do? It just Ooh,
5: that's a tough. Who, who do you think's the better I... player? Um. I think Armstead has flashed more this season, but overall, I'd probably say Buckner is a better player, but I think Armstead has probably flashed more this particular season. Um, And Armstead, of course, has a little more versatility because he plays both inside and outside, whereas Buckner is primarily a three-technique D tackle. Um, Boy, that's a tough call. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. But uh, one other point about the Seattle game, though, is you know Kittle did not play in that first game. No, he didn't. And uh, you He's know, good. you don't. Yeah, you don't have to really sit here with a clicker and watch plays ten times like I do to know that George Kittle's pretty good. When
2: you do watch him ten times with a clicker, how good is he?
5: Oh, I mean, I think Kittle's terrific. You know, people forget because of where he was drafted, and obviously, he did not have big college production because of the school at which he played. Where tight ends, you know, with few exceptions, obviously, Hawkinson did, but but tight ends prior to that at Iowa did not have big catch numbers. But his measurable numbers at the Combine were actually better in many respects than O.J. Howard's.
0: Yeah, he uh, is it fair to call him a top 10, obviously quarterbacks are in their own category, but just a top 10 NFL player?
5: No, non quarterback? Yeah, I mean that's a tough question because then you have to start thinking of players. But he's, I mean, he's a really, really good player because he's a terrific blocker. I mean, there's a lot of times watching tape where I stop it because he's just he's just driving whether it's a D end or a linebacker. Uh, you know, he's just driving them out of the play in the run game.
0: Well, I think, uh, and I'm sure you would attest, a huge element of the Niners' run game is they got Kittle and they got a fullback that just destroy right. people. I mean, those guys are how good relative to the rest of the league, obviously you're dependent on your five offensive linemen to block, but how many teams in the league have two guys like that?
5: Well, and and the use check thing is really, you know, a big factor because the Niners play with, you know, out of twenty-one personnel uh, on over a quarter of their snaps, and then with twenty-two personnel with two backs and two tight ends, uh, over eight percent. So you're you're probably dealing with an offense that has use check on the field. And don't forget, that's a stretch where he missed games. So I would bet with use check. I don't have that number off the top of my head, but my guess is with use check, they probably play with. uh, You know, 21 personnel or 22 personnel, well over 40% of the snaps.
2: You know, Greg, John and I have talked about Jimmy Garoppolo a lot. Shocker. Everybody does, uh, especially around here. And, you know, one thing we've arrived at is he's hard sometimes, like the other day being an example. The stats don't always tell the story with just – I think watching him, one of the things he's best at is one of the things that's the hardest for a quarterback to be good at, which is just making plays while still having a feel for the pocket. I know he took some sacks you wouldn't want him to take on Saturday night, but – As you watch all these quarterbacks every week, where does he fit in in terms of just pocket feel to you?
5: Well, I think that he's very much a timing-rhythm player. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's a pocket quarterback. Yes, he does have some movement ability, but at his core, he's a pocket quarterback. I think he's very timing-rhythm-based, and this is an offense that presents and defines a lot of timing and rhythm throws. Now, that's not to say he can't make late-in-the-down throws from the pocket, but I think he's at his best when he can sort of drop back, hit that back foot, and it's, and it's relatively defined. Um, you know, and I think there are times that he'll get into trouble when when that's not quite there. Now, obviously, he can, as I said, he can make late in the down throws, and with that compact delivery, because he doesn't have a gun, he just has that snap throwing ability, and and that's really important because that allows him to still get the ball off and make throws when the when the pocket gets muddied.
0: You know, one conversation around here for a while before uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was given from the the Belichick uh, heaven. That it was going to be Kirk Cousins was going to be the quarterback.
5: I I know for me. I think he's better than Kirk Cousins, but that's my opinion.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Is it safe to say the 49ers dodged the bullet on that one because they got the younger, better player?
5: Yeah, I think he's better, but I think because of Kyle's offense, Cousins would be very effective too. You know, he's similar. Um, You know, it's like Nick Mullins last year, and I'm not comparing Nick Mullins to either one of those players, but this offense really does define things well for a quarterback, so quarterbacks can be relatively efficient within this offense.
0: For sure. And I mean, in fairness to Kirk, he's been good this year. Uh, Just there's something when the offense breaks down and you have to make plays, he just doesn't have the capability to do that where Jimmy does.
5: Jimmy does, and, and, and you're right. Uh, look, Cousins, you know, people, it's, it's like Monday night, and not that we want to spend a lot of time on Kirk Cousins, but we're just talking ball. Cousins is getting ripped for Monday night. That's not his fault. Cousins is, is a part of an offense. He needs the run game. He needs the screen game. He needs the offensive line to play at a, at a high level. He's a piece. When all that works, he's, he's systematically efficient.
2: Tomorrow on NFL Network, they're uh, announcing the 10 quarterbacks that made the NFL 100 list. Uh, Two of them have already been named, No Shocker, Montana, and Brady. Now, John and I were talking earlier about who we think is in there.
5: Well, you better name. You you can't ask me who I think because that's not going to be good. You need to name names.
2: No. So here's what I'm going to (laughs) ask. Here's a here's my question for you, because who are the names? We We know you got the information. We were both. We were both born in the mid '80s. Who was your favorite quarterback whose prime came
5: before the '80s? Whose prime came before the '80s? Yeah. So you're assuming I'm an old man, is that No, it? I'm
2: assuming you've watched a lot of film.
5: <laughs> <laughs> With access to
2: all the old real machines. Guy right,
5: right. <laughs> whose prime came before you. I tell you, I, I have an answer for that, and I think he would have been an all-timer if it was not for injuries. Okay? And you're going to be shocked at this, but he was one of my absolute favorite quarterbacks to watch, and there were some people who thought he was more talented than John Elway. I guess you don't know who I'm talking I know about. No, we're holding our breath. Bert Jones,
2: with a E or with a U? I don't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, no. I have no clue.
0: Are you serious? No clue. No. I mean, I've heard. What's I've heard, asking you. I've heard the name. Wow. Yeah, uh, we're wow. not Belichickian historians here. We're we're like early 90s on i'm strong all right well look him up.
5: He, he came out of lsu he's actually yeah. i think from louisiana came out of lsu played in the 70s for the baltimore colts ended up getting traded late in his career to the rams but he had a major shoulder injury which essentially ended his career but for about four or five years with the colts he was unbelievable he was super talented
2: so he was the guy that was going to replace johnny unitas i'm reading or did replace Well,
5: him. yeah, I mean, I forget what year he was drafted. It was probably early 70s, maybe?
2: Yeah, 73.
5: Okay, and then he became a starter pretty early, and the Colts became a really good team then after, you know, a couple of years of struggle, and uh, he, uh, I, I just, I loved virtue. I was in college, because uh, I was in college from 74 to 78, and that's when he was sort of in his prime, and he was, I really loved Bert Jones.
0: You know, sometimes NFL films will just tweet out, you know, a highlight package of a quarterback, just whoever, from the 80s or the 90s. And maybe it was last week or two weeks ago they did a Steve Young run. And, you know, me, born in 84, I was Steve was more my guy than Joe just because I always... He was young, pretty young. good, too, by the way. How good in 2019, where they can't hit the quarterback, Drew Brees is shattering all these records, would the king of accuracy before Drew Brees came around be in the modern-day
5: NFL? Oh, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you're talking about a super accurate quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a good The numbers would just be better, you know, just because they'd throw it more. You know, that's why the numbers you have to take with a grain of salt to some degree um, because the game has changed to where the ball's thrown so much that guys throw over six balls routinely, it seems.
2: Greg, it's uh, a pleasure to get to talk to you. We appreciate your time. Have a great weekend and a happy
5: new year. Enjoy the game. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. You too.
2: That was Greg Cosell, courtesy of KNBR 104.5 and 680. <laughs> Say it. The sports leader. Who should we talk to now? Let's go to our friend, Chris yeah. Mullins, Hall of oh. Famer. Chris Mullins, absolutely. This is now, Now Chris spoke with us Thursday. This one is courtesy of KNBR 104.5 and 680. The sports leader. You know, we awesome. saw Steve Kerr talking yesterday yesterday. Uh, he was pretty fired up to play on Christmas. I think he said – and I know you talked to Glenn Robinson after the game uh, on TV. That was the first – that Glenn came up to him before the game and said it's the first time he's ever played on Christmas. How much do you think it meant to those guys?
6: I think it meant a lot. Um, You know, look, this last five years have been incredible, one of the best dynasties we've seen in the history of the NBA. So they've done a lot of winning. And and due to injuries, it's it's a really different type of season for all these guys, the coaches, the owners, everybody, the fans – so, it's a big adjustment. So, anytime you get put together a nice win like that on Christmas, you know, there's only five games for the whole schedule, everyone's watching. Uh, it's just really satisfying. I thought Steve Kerr and his staff came up with a great game plan. And uh, as important, the play is executed, I thought to perfection defensively, energized them, and just had a really good energy in the building. So, you know, it was a great win because of the history with these teams in the last uh, few seasons in the playoffs. But for this group, I think they really needed just just a good, energized win, feel good about themselves, and now they're on a three-game winning streak.
0: You know, one thing they've really been doing—it feels like about the last month—is playing really hard. And you know, I mean, you've been around the NBA for a long, long time. I mean, if you just play hard, you have a couple decent players, you're going to win some games. And yesterday was—they played hard, and they making shots and making plays. But just if you—if they keep playing at this level of effort, I mean, could they get to 25 wins? You know, I mean, I, I know they've won three straight games. It's probably not going to happen too often with the lineup they're rolling out, but they're definitely not going to be a 10-win team, right?
6: Yeah, John, I think, I think they've played hard with good effort for most most of the games. You know, there's been a few clunkers here and there from, yeah. from an NG standpoint. But what I'm, I'm impressed with is, is the young guys who, you know, look, in the beginning of the first you know, 15 to 20 games, a lot of those guys are playing out of, out of their roles, out of position, and probably playing too many minutes. But they were playing the right way. They weren't just out there jacking shots up. They were sticking to the game plan. They just weren't ready to win ball games at this level. Um, so the last ten days or so, they've gotten healthy, uh, and definitely the last three or four games, Steve's been able to roll out a starting lineup of veterans, guys that you know deserve to be on the floor, have been on the floor before, and in turn, it put the young players back into the roles they they should have been from the start of the season, coming off the bench, you know, playing spot minutes. And when the game's on the line, watching the, the NBA pros watch what it takes to win games. So that's that's been a short sample size because they've been injured, guys, even DeAngelo, uh, Draymond, all these guys have been in that lineup you know, very consistently. So it's been hard to get some rhythm and flow to their game. And I thought yesterday their defense really energized them. They you know, they started doubling hard in half court. In turn that makes you communicate and rotate and have a lot of activity on the defensive end. I thought it carried over to the offensive side. You know, they, they just played a good overall game yesterday. It was fun to watch.
2: What was it about the way they defended him? You mentioned him a little bit, but the whole James Harden, the one free throw attempt is is very uncommon. Um, so what were the things they did that impressed you against him?
6: Yeah, guy, well, the first thing is to keep him off the line. The guy's averaging almost 38 a game, right? So he's leading the league in scoring, and he's, he's, he makes shots. He's His efficiency is way up this year. He's shooting like 45 from the field. Uh, he's up high 30s from the three. He's a really good free-throw shooter. So, you know, you're not going to take his, his field goal makes away, but if you, you can take his free throws away. And it's he can, attempts about 13 a game. To get one is a huge accomplishment because it's easier said than done. The guy's a masterful scorer, but he also knows how to draw fouls because, you, you know, he can drive the ball, he can uh, hit runners, he bangs threes. So it's it's easier said than done, but I thought the, the plays did a great job of that alone, not fouling him. And then when they doubled to harden when he gave the ball up the next thing is the rotations have to be in sync that takes communication takes some IQ and, and and you know knowing your personnel so they didn't overreact if Westbrook if Harden gave the ball to Westbrook they closed out short to him and almost dared him to shoot the three he's shooting 25 percent from the three in turn he went all for, for eight and and Westbrook's a very competitive guy he takes that personal but it played into the warrior's hands so he kept shooting them and then the other thing too is from a game plan standpoint, when you play Houston, there's not a whole lot you need, you need to look at. They're going to have Westbrook and Harden handle the ball exclusively. They're going to have two corner three shooters. They're going to be there no matter what happens. They're going to be staying in the corner, and Clint Compella, or one of the bigs will be will be roaming around the baseline trying to get lobbed. Uh So in turn, I thought Steve did a good job of taking those players out of their comfort zones. You know, I remember one play, they ran PJ Tucker off the three. He drove baseline, fell down, and threw a baseline bounce pass through Ben Macklemore's leg. That was making them make the basketball plays and not, you know, leaving him open at the strong corner three to shoot a set shot.
0: Do Do the Houston Rockets have any chance to go deep in the playoffs with Russell Westbrook, gunning like he's gunning?
6: Well, I don't think it's so much Russell Westbrook. <clears throat> uh, I just don't think that style can win in the playoffs because you see yesterday Steve approached that game like a playoff game in my mind because he had a specific game plan to take things away and, and make other players beat. That's what happens in playoff series. So to me, if you're just going to strictly play by analytics, you're actually telling the other team what you're doing each and every time. You know, So it's an easy scout. Um, I don't think they're good enough at other positions. Westbrook and Hart is not the problem. It's everybody else because you can put them in positions that they're not used to or not good at, at uh, playing at. You know, you, you make the, the spot shooters uh, ball hands and, and drivers. You know, you try and take Westbrook away and hard as much as you can, and you make those other guys beat you. And I think, you know, there's just too many good teams to, to play that style consistently in the playoffs.
2: Who do you think, and, and maybe the answer's obvious, I mean, when you start thinking about just the great players that, that you played with and against, but who is the toughest guy for you to guard and not foul?
6: Um. Geez. Well, I, I appreciate that that you're even assuming I play defense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe you felt. Maybe it wasn't hard
6: if you found nobody. I mean, the guys who commit no fouls usually don't defend. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know what? I would say this. You know, in in the '80s and '90s, and, and the way even like when in college, when I was taught to play, um, drawing fouls was a big part of of offense. You know, it was always very important who got to the line more. And also trying to get one of the better players in foul trouble so he'd play a little, a few less minutes. You know, that was a focal point. Um, not anymore because not many guys go in the post as much. So you're drawing fouls with head fakes, maybe maybe drawing fouls at the three-point line. Um, but I thought yesterday, you know, everyone's into analytics now. The Rockets took 100 field goals yesterday, right? They shot 51 from three. They made 16, which is a decent number. They were 16 for 51. And the Warriors only made nine, but they went to the free throw line and they Mm -hmm. shot about 90%. So, to me, there's still a a, a place in basketball for for good two-point shots. I think getting to the free throw line is really important. And then the three-point line, I love three-point shots, but I love high-quality three-point shots. So, to me, how they're being created is probably more Mm -hmm. important than how many you get up. Um, So, I just think the the way Steve Kerr coaches, the way he plays – so this is a tough season, but I think he's laying the groundwork moving forward, again, trying to see who can play this style of basketball, not just throwing guys out there. So we've seen a lot of good individual uh, development, and I just think now that they're healthy, you'll start to see to win some games because, you know, the, the, the veterans will be the ones starting the game and ending the game, and the younger players will be in the middle there just filling their roles.
0: I think you're a unique guy to ask this question just because you've been coaching college the last several years. It looks the Warriors are going to have a relatively high pick unless they keep winning at this rate. You've scouted all these freshmen throughout the country or at least seen them live at different showcases. Did you have a favorite one that you wanted to come to your school or just a guy, even if you knew you couldn't get, that you liked the most? Yeah,
6: i, I recruit a lot of these kids. It's funny you say that because I've watched them like the last three summers. You know, so I've seen a lot of these kids coming through their, you know, summers of their freshman, sophomore years. Um, one thing that's amazing how quickly they develop. So, the, you know, not that it's a secret, but – they're so young, so when you get a young player, he's just not ready, right? So these kids coming in like Jordan Poole with, with the Warriors, no it's no indictment on him. He's just not ready to, to play at this level yet. He just needs some strength and things like that. Um, you know, the one kid that's really intrigued, I guess physically, is wise, well, mean, he's so tall and long, he can run. I think he'll develop those other skills, shooting and things like that. Uh, but he runs like a deer. Um, I think there's a place from – not. I mean, I'll be able to turn the franchise around, but if you put him on a decent team, he's going to be able to, you know, run and dunk and, and play in the dunk and do some good things. But he's not
0: Shaq or Kobe – or I mean, like Anthony Davis no, or something no. coming out.
6: No, I don't see that at all. Um, we'll put it this way, when it, when the draft's – at this time of the draft, if you're not talking about a guy that you know is number one, it's going to be, you yeah. know, who you like better. I think there's more guards and wings. Um, and then I think there'll be some guys – that no one knows about now um, there's a few players that are freshmen that I don't, I didn't think would be ready, but as I'm, I'm watching college games now, they, they may be the ones to take to develop, right? Cause you know, now everything's on potential. You know, we've seen the Warriors got passed with 41. They were picking him to, to play with, you know, a more veteran team. Right. But now that, that winds up being a really good pick. Um, yeah, so I think some of these younger kids, there's a kid in Memphis. There's a kid in Florida that I watched. You know, New York kids, two young kids, really gifted athletes. I don't think they're ready, but as I'm watching this draft, they might be moving up, you know, later in the season. But we'll see.
2: Chris Mullen, our guest here on uh, Tolbert, Kruger, and Brooks, got Haberman, John Middlecoff in on KNBR and KNBR FM, the sports leader. You know, the interesting thing, too, I wonder, like, you mentioned James Wiseman, who played three games and has left school. So he's not, no one's going to watch mm-hmm. him play college ball. Like, I think I think back to last year, so much of what Zion did was he played college basketball. Everyone got to see him. LaMelo Ball went to Australia. Dominated uh, college basketball. Uh, Zion, yeah. yeah. LaMelo goes to Australia. He gets hurt at a time when GMs hadn't gone to see him yet. He's out a month. Their season ends, like, soon. So no one's really sure if anyone's going to get to see him play. And I just right. wonder, as, as this kind of goes on, if we're going to have um, – if we're going to see more and more and more GMs drafting players that they just don't get to see that much. And even though they're not directly drafting high school guys, it kind of feels to them like they are.
6: Yeah. So, you know, that's been the change over the last say 30 years, you know, you think about like around Christmas time, Ralph Sampson came out right to light that big Christmas tree at the chase center. Right. So Ralph was a four time play of the year in college. And he stayed in college four years. Patrick Ewing, you know, all these Michael stayed three years. Michael Jordan. So by the time they, you know, three years of college, you get 30, you know, say 60, 70, 90 games to watch. The GMs don't need anymore. They've got the book on the guy. They got the Sky Report. They know about his practice habits, all those things. That becomes more important, as important as, as the guy, because you can see a guy with talent, right? His, his size, his wingspan, all that stuff you can see. The part that becomes the things that you don't know is a guy's competitive spirit, you know, how he, he interacts with his teammates. And usually you watch that in the team dynamic. Um, so a guy like Wiseman, I don't think it's going to hurt his his draft stock because we've seen players like Kyrie and other guys not playing college. They'll get to see his private workouts. Um, when you're talking about when you bunch up wings and guards, we, we, guys with the same talent, what's going to separate <sighs> them are those intangibles? And it's, it's hard to tell from a private workout or an interview that's kind of pre-scripted and, and the kids have their answers kind of laid out from by their agents. Um, yeah, so that's why the draft gets tricky. You know, so information is the most important part. And like you said, as, as they as they come to us younger with less games under their belt and, and less uh, just game situations that you can watch, it becomes more of a crapshoot
0: last week I was bored flipping around the channels and I ended up on a Georgia SMU game and I watched the whole second half and they went to overtime and that kid, Anthony Edwards I think is yeah. his name, and they have another mm-hmm. point guard, uh, I think that was like a top 50 recruit too, and he hit the game ty- the game tying at the end of regulation to send him in overtime then he basically hit the game winning shot, and I noticed Edwards twice went over to him and celebrated like he hit it putting on my, you know, yeah. I know you're a former GM right. putting on the scout hat, I was like, wow, that's Type stuff that stands out. Clearly, he's really talented, but it was like he seems like a pretty good guy. I don't, I don't know much about him besides he's got a lot of hype. But he seemed like uh, kind of like Zion last year. It was clear he got a lot of joy when his teammates hit shots. That's why I think everyone fell in love. He's a freak, but the intangibles were off the charts.
6: That's a good point, John. And so, so like when when GMs and scouts go watch games, of course they're watching the action. You like that guy? But they keep it. I do like him. Yes, I do a lot. Yes, I watched him. Um, very talented, like you said. So, and if you're at the game, I'm sure, uh, scouts, I was going to say scouts and GMs, they watch timeouts. If the guy's subbed out, how he's walking to the bench, how he interacts with his coach. And as you mentioned, how he interacts with his teammates, all those things are important because you're going to, you know, when you get to the NBA, a lot of these kids are going to go to a losing situation. The higher you get drafted, more than likely you're going to a losing situation. And you, you brought up Zion. We played against Duke for two years when I was back coaching college, um, and I thought the, the most impressive thing about him, again, his athleticism, everybody could see it. Right, he was dominant, his quickness, his, his incredible explosion. But the joy that he played with, and the joy that you know he gave to his teammates, to me, was what set him apart. Um, and and you know that's what brings teams together. That's what you know in the middle of the season or you're having a tough season. That that's what can keep a team together or, or tear it apart.
2: But, Chris, isn't this part of what makes the Warriors situation so unique? On one hand, that's really important when you go to a bad situation. But what about when you're a blue-chip prospect who's been in college for a year, you get drafted, and you don't go to a bad situation where everyone's just waiting for you to develop into a 20-10 and 10 guy. You go to the Warriors where they've got their 20-10 and 10 guys. And now you have to kind of fit in when you've always been the star of the show. i, I got to think that's going to make for a unique dynamic for whoever the Warriors draft kind of what we're talking about here might really really matter to them just given all that
6: well i think whoever that player is right whether you know as of now you know who knows what transpires but as of now they're they're looking at a top five pick so whoever that player might be he's going to be blessed to be walking into this franchise because like you said it, usually that top five pick is going to go to lose the situation be counted on to play 30 minutes and he's going to be the stage and you know, all these things that happen to these young kids right this guy's going to be walking into a a locker room with Hall of Fame players, guys who have championship rings, and can can be around them, watch their daily habits, and, and come along slowly. And from day one, be taught what it is to be an NBA, not only an NBA player, an NBA superstar. So that that's going to be a blessing for that player. And then for the Warriors, again, they're going to be able to make a you know a relatively quick jump because they're going to have two Hall of Fame, two of the best Hall of Fame players of all time, Stephen Clay coming back with Draymond. Uh, some of these players now that, that they're developing, you know, uh, slowly and surely, uh, they can become role players, and their 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 new top five pick can can plug in and play his role, not come in and be a savior, but come in and play to his strengths, work on his weaknesses in, in practice in the off season, and have a smooth development into the NBA.
0: You know, I don't know if you saw that trailer came out like a minute trailer on the Jordan doc. The, you know, the 10-part yeah. series that's coming out on ESPN, and one of my yeah. favorite parts of the Dream Team doc, I think, is when you're describing Larry with the bad back, screaming at Magic, "You <laughs> don't got it anymore. You're a pretty unique guy that ask this. You've been his teammate. You obviously played against him. I, you guys played against each other in college. Uh, was it hard to not, especially once he establishes dominance, not to be in? Were you ever intimidated by Mike when you were playing against him?
6: Yeah, my, so Michael and, and Patrick and I—we all came out of high school together. So the first time I met those guys was um, pretty McDonald's strong trio. American, yeah, McDonald's All American game. So we you know—not only a long time ago, we just we were coming out of high school. Um, and I remember going—we were in Wichita, Kansas, and we're going to like you know kind of a shoot around, but it was early in the morning, and everyone's kind of like, you know, what's going on? We had to get up in the morning. It was kind of. But Michael was out there running around like a deer and dunking. I'm like, this is insane, dude! Like this guy, how can he do this so early in the morning? And from then on, you know, like you mentioned, through college, I played. We played Carolina a few times when I was at St. John's. We played the '84 Olympics together, and that was the first time he really, really stuck out because that summer, before we went to LA to play uh, the Olympic games, we played eight uh, exhibition games against NBA team, uh, NBA select players. And they were getting the best player. wasn't they, they weren't getting the middle-of-the-line guys. Like, we played a game in Indiana at, at the uh, Hoosier Dome, which was called at the time. Uh, Magic, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, Ralph Samps, all the top players played. And at that time, already, Michael was the best player on the floor. So he, he set himself apart early. Um, and I always say he had the unique combination. Again, when, when we talk about, it, obviously, an incredible athlete. But he had very, he was very fundamentally sound player. I tell, I used to tell young guys all the time, when you watch Michael Jordan's highlights, and, and they're breathtaking, no doubt. His dunks and his alley oops and all his, all that nasty stuff he did, but how he got to those plays a lot were very fundamental basketball. You'll see him denying the lanes, making a good defensive play, you know, very fundamentally sound player, but just made it look so spectacular because of his incredible gifts, his his athletic uh, abilities. But I always felt like he was one of the most firmly sound players I've ever played with, passing, shooting, all, those, all the basic skills with incredible uh, athleticism and competitiveness off the charts.
2: Did, did he call fouls in practice?
6: No, nobody did. Yeah, Nobody did. Yeah. You know, When you're in a gym with guys like that, and not that you're not playing defense so or competing, but the ball movement, the body, it's so quick and, and, and crisp and, and, and flawless. That, you know, you're basically moving the ball, shooting to take out of bounds. It just, it's just a constant flow of almost like, like a beautiful, you know, concert. It just keeps moving.
0: Could you guys hang in 84 against the older guys?
6: With, with who now?
0: With, like, when you guys played Magic and Larry and those guys, when it was, like, you, Patrick, oh, no, we, and the select team? Oh,
6: yeah, we, 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 we went 8-0. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: You did not lose. Oh, they-
6: no doubt. <laughs> And... It, no, we 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 played. Listen, and I, they might. Who knows? They might be on real real tape. You know, they might be somewhere stored. And you know, was that the team that Bobby Knight kicked
0: off Charles Barkley, or didn't select him
6: for the tryouts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, was so that was that was eighty four. Yeah. So that yeah. So Charles, John Stockton, and Carl Malone were all cut from that team. <laughs> oh my god.
3: Yeah. Some yeah that was insane. Yeah.
6: Yeah. That was pretty. Yeah. That was that was a a wild summer to say the least. Um. But memorable, and like I said, it was, it, was a, it was, I'll tell you what, one of the most underrated Olympic uh, teams, I think, you know, just a little biased because I was on it, but the last amateur uh, Olympic team to win the gold medal.
0: Makes sense. Why? If you're cutting John Stockton and Carl Malone and Charles, <laughs> you're in pretty good shape.
6: Yeah, but they uh, they got back. They, they came back to the dream, team. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got <laughs> they redemption. <did. laughs> yeah, they did.
2: Molly, it's a pleasure to talk to
6: you. We Thanks, appreciate man. your time. Appreciate it. My pleasure, fellas. Have a good afternoon. What a conversation
2: with Chris Mullen. He used our names. I mean the old old friends, uh, courtesy of KNBR one oh four five and six eighty. The sports leader.
0: All right. Good that was a good that's that's a good heavy lifting podcast we just did there, John. Do you think the McDonald's all American team with Mullins, There's Patrick? No Ewing? Yeah, Chris Mullen. No, he's not Nick Mullen. <laughs> Chris Mullen, Patrick Ewing, and Michael Jordan lost. Wherever they played. I mean, that would have been. We said they went 8-0 against the USA. But, the, but, but that was in 84. Team. That's yeah. when they were. In, I'm talking about the McDonald's All-American team when they were in high school. Oh, yeah. That'd be pretty good.
2: Yeah, really good. Really good.
0: But remember, Michael, like, all we ever talk about was that he got cut from his high school basketball team in ninth grade. Why does that matter if he, by the time he was a senior or a junior, he was sweet? Well, he was a freshman. Nobody <laughs> who. It's
2: that, that, that Yeah, Michael, you played
0: a... JV? Like, no shit. Most but kids that, that, do. The
2: story's so crazy. All right, we have to thank. Uh, you got to manipulate Ogden. chips when you're the goat. That's right. We got to thank Dio for hanging out and let us letting us record this in the uh, studios here on uh, Thursday. You want to say go Jags or anything? Yeah, anything? Anything you got to say, Dio? Sh- no, not really. Shout out your SoundCloud or your Instagram. You have an Instagram? Yeah. People can go you follow. Want to blow you? up?
0: Yeah.
3: At OG Trini, same as my Twitter.
0: Yeah.
2: I've been a loyal follower for five six years. It's very good. Actually, th- so we can tell this story very quickly, John, or should we save it for radio? No, let's say it now. Well, the uh, once upon a time. D.O., Daniel worked at 957 with us. What's that? It was an old ra- it was a radio station E-Sports we worked loser? on. And uh, we used to, uh, every time somebody left, I would put up a fake motivational poster. Because in the corporate environment, no one really knows who put what up on a wall. You know, it's like a small business where the owner knows, like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? So when people left, I'd put up one of those fake motivational posters that had a secret hidden message in it. Yeah. John Lunn left, the report was, uh, internally that there had been a contract negotiation and one of the people involved couldn't be reached because they were at Alcatraz. So my fake motivational poster had a picture of Alcatraz and uh, it said, be the rock. That was an homage to Lund. Dio left and there'd been a lot of talk about how you treat the broadcast partners, and that sort of thing. So Dio left and I made a motivational poster that was uh, like an old Western photo of two cowboys on horses. Yeah. yeah, And it said, partners do what partners do. And the DO was capitalized both. Both of them stupid. You're not supposed to really laugh hard if you're listening to the story. But the point was, those fake-ass motivational posters went up. No one had any idea what they meant except a few people who were on the joke. And they stayed up until the company moved buildings years after we left. And that is one of the things I took the greatest amount of pride in. I'd get a text from, like, Derek Popper every six months, like, hey, still up.
0: Like, these were in high-traffic areas, too. Yeah, they were in high-traffic One right area. by the kitchen, one right by the door. So, But when went. you're in bed with the partners they were in bed with, it's pretty clear that no one was ever going to stumble on no that one stuff. No not, uh, Kyle Shanahan and guys like that aren't coming on the air. All right, on that note. No more shots. We, no, we, it was a no great more, experience. It awesome Christmas. Experience. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for
2: everything, Daniel. All right.
0: Goodbye. Time to eat, John. Adios. See ya.